Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again, and if you missed my commentary on the good of the good morning, very good morning to you, and let me encourage you to grab the recording of our earlier hour here of Mornings with Carmen so you can get all that's good about the good morning greeting this morning and every morning. Good morning. All right, I'm going to do some quick international headlines. Um, before we jump into a conversation with Dr. Linda Mental today. So quickly around the world, um, the president of the United States during his first trip to Asia since taking office um, said that the United States would respond, would respond, would respond militarily if China tries to take Taiwan by force. Uh, He told reporters that that's the commitment we made. That's a quote. The president's statement uh, caught a lot of his top administrative officials off guard. Um, It's not the first time that the president has gone further than longstanding U.S. public policy um, on a particular topic. The U.S. does provide Taiwan defensive weapons, but we have um, not ever said out loud in public that we were committed to respond militarily if China tried to take Taiwan by force. So it's potentially a huge public statement that's either going to be walked back by some U.S. official today um, or we have changed our posture in relationship to China, in relationship to Taiwan. And so that's going to be a story we're going to definitely watch. In Ukraine, tomorrow marks three months since Russia launched its assault on um, the Ukrainian people. And eight, eight million people in Ukraine have been either internally displaced or have fled the country as refugees. Um, And so it continues to be uh, a very, very, very challenging situation. We continue to pump billions and billions of dollars of aid into the country, both humanitarian and military aid. um, And it's certainly not something that is resolved or over. So let's um, let's not grow weary in our prayers or our concern for the people of Ukraine and what's unfolding there. Monkeypox, if you haven't heard about it yet, uh, is a thing. Um, There are confirmed cases uh, around the world, um, some 12 countries reporting cases, up to 100, according to the World Health Organization. Uh, Monkeypox is a rare virus in terms of its transmission to human beings from animals. Um, The symptoms... Uh, are similar to smallpox. Uh, President Biden has said he doesn't believe that the outbreak of monkeypox is as risky as COVID-19. In part, that's because of the known ways in which monkeypox is transmitted. And let's just say that um, if you are living a sanctified sexual life um, and you are in a monogamous relationship and you only practice 
sex in the context of monogamous marriage between one biological man and one biological woman, you don't have to worry about monkeypox. It's not transmitted. Uh, you can't get it, uh, I don't think, um, other than um, through the ways in which the people who now have it have become infected. And none of them are, let's say, abiding by um, biblical definitions of of sex and the sexual relationship. All right, on the U.S. southern border, there is important news. The, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention cannot move forward with a plan to discontinue Title 42, a judge has blocked the lifting of Title 42, which has been a pandemic-related emergency rule that has allowed U.S. border agents to rapidly expel migrants back to Mexico or back to their home countries on public health grounds. A federal judge in Louisiana ruled on Friday that Title 42 cannot be lifted. Um, And so that was supposed to happen today. It was supposed to be lifted today. Well, that's not going to happen. The, The question is... The thousands and thousands and thousands of people who had surged toward the U.S. southern border um, who have been camped just on the other side of the U.S. southern border in Mexico awaiting this date on the calendar because today was the day they thought they were going to be able to pass into the United States, um, albeit illegally, but, but then unhindered. Who knows what they're going to do? I, I, I can't imagine that they're all going to go back to their home countries. I, I imagine that they are all going to still seek to cross the U.S. southern border. Uh, we have a, a a huge crisis on the U.S. southern border. And to this point, we do not have a government response that is adequate. So um, prayers, provision, protection, just all kinds of things needed there. All right, let's bring uh, Linda Mental on. She and I have a range of conversations to have right now. Um, COVID babies lagging behind in language development. One of the conversations in front of us as we, as a people, begin living with the outcomes of, uh, of our COVID experience. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental joins us now. You can find her at the Dr. Linda Mental Show and at drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. It's good to be back. Uh, happy Monday, I guess. Happy, <laughs> yeah. It's good. <laughs> good. It's good. It, whether or not it's happy is a big question, but it is good. It is good. <laughs> That's true. So, um, let's talk about this issue that families are facing. Um, COVID babies born during the COVID pandemic uh, lagging behind in language development uh, in terms of what we would expect of children of this age. It's not a surprise in some ways because we knew that all the isolation that people were experiencing, which means less interaction with grandma and grandpa, you know, friends, playgrounds, interactive places where babies look around their new environments, they see things, they they learn from all of that uh, looking and observing and having people talking to them. And then the masks, which we you know needed to wear at a certain point, or you I guess you could argue that or not, but the point is a lot of we had masks on. And one of the ways that babies learn is they watch our facial expressions and they look at our mouths and they interpret 
you know, different expressions as a way of their brains beginning to learn about how they're engaging with other people. So of course, one of the thoughts was if they're not engaging as much and they're seeing people, but they're only seeing the eyes. And I used to think about this when I would go to the grocery store and I would, you know, I would see everybody mask and I would think even with small toddlers and children that were with their parents, what are they thinking? How are they reading the cues and what is happening in their brain? Because the brain is wired for this type of connection. This is why when we see Carmen, we see babies in orphanages where they're not held and they're not interacted with. They have multiple, multiple problems with learning and even social development because attachment with your caregivers is one of the main ways that babies and children learn. So of course, we're thinking this through and thinking, hmm, there probably will be some issues related to that. And Brown University, and I'm sure there are many other places uh, are doing studies where they're actually looking at the amount of language that the babies are producing. They're trying to see if they're engaging as well. And the initial studies are that there are going to be problems in this area. So when we talk about um, how we can support and encourage um, or maybe recover from this particular sort of strange uh, uh, lagging effect of language development of uh, of children. You got any ideas for us? Like any anything that, I mean, I'm like, you know, smile at a baby and talk to them. Like that's my, you know, solution. But, I, you know, are, are there other things we ought to be doing? Yeah, yeah, that's really, well, you're, you're on the right track here, but that's really what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to be much more intentional about the things that we used to not even think about. So number one, number one, and I see this everywhere I go, is for parents and babysitters and whoever else is interacting with the child, put down your devices, stop looking at screens. Now more than ever, it's going to be really, really important to focus on that child or that baby, look them in the eye, engage them in the moment. You know, children are really curious and they, you can see their eyes darting and you can see their little minds trying to work. You need to be talking to them, interacting to them with them and not on those screens. And I just get so upset when I, you know, I'm out in public and I see people with their, their children and they're not paying any attention to them. They're on their phone and they're not looking at them. They're not interacting with them. You know, I remember when I was with, with my kids when they were little, I was always talking to them and talking about what was in the environment and walking around. We would look at sounds and sights and airplanes and cars, and we would talk about all these things. So you need to do that. That's number one. I think number two is it's going to be very important now to start making really good eye contact with babies and children, making sure when you're looking at them, they're looking at you. And so this back and forth, you know, of the nonverbal, making sure they're attending to you, they're looking at you, they're watching you, you're seeing them watch you back. And if you hear any type of speech delays, and this has been important prior to the pandemic, but especially now, if you start to think that your child is having a bit of a speech delay, I would get with a speech therapist. A lot of pre, you know, pre-K programs and, and schools have free access to speech therapists where they can work with your child early on because many, many of the speech problems that we see with kids can be corrected when they're attended to very early. And then the third one, and I, I read this in um, an article that I saw, and I thought it was really great advice. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I wrote an article about what happened to the family dinner. And we noticed that the lack of 
families meeting together at the dinner table like we used to do back in the mm. you know the days of ancient times, um, which is like in the 50s and 60s. Those days have been gone. People are so busy. They're on the run. They're moving. They're not getting this interactive time. And we noticed a long time ago that the lack of this family dinner was really um, detrimental to children and to teens and to small children. It's at the family dinner table. There's a lot going on. People are laughing. They're talking. Maybe they're serious. They're interacting with each other. They're reacting to what's happening in the moment. And that would be a very good thing to, you know, redo. And we know this is not related to child development in the sense of language, but we know that families that have dinners together have less delinquency in their children. Their children do better academically. There's just a host of benefits that happen when people gather around a family table and make that an important part of everyday family life. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, of family dinner every night, no matter what. Um, right. Okay, so thank you so much for that. All right, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, Dr. Linda Mental and I are going to talk about something that I have resisted talking about, and that is the uh, Depp Heard trial. And we're going to specifically emphasize um, the need for God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, you can find what we're talking about next at drlindamental.com. All right, Linda, let me just confess. Uh, it's like a train wreck happening on television every single day, and so I have totally avoided it. Um, talk with us about this, uh, this trial that people are, in many cases, watching online and how it emphasizes the need for God. I'm like you, Carmen. I was trying to avoid it as much as possible myself because I knew it was just going to be a walk down dysfunction in every sense of the word. And so I would occasionally when I was writing or I was between a grading an assignment or doing something for um, classes, I would listen to, you know, just parts of it. I'd listen to a little bit of the testimony of each of them. I read a few articles just to see what was going on. And then BeliefNet asked me if I would would write about it from a Christian perspective. And I thought, okay, so I really had to do a deeper dive. And you know, when you're watching this, you see so many issues in terms of what you should not do in a relationship. So Mm. all the violent actions, which by the way, are most of the time related to drug and alcohol abuse. And that really was something that I didn't think they emphasized very well. I mean, they talked a lot about drug use, But it almost was a little bit frightening to me because it wasn't like if you use substances the way these two people apparently have been using, there are going to be some very negative fallouts of that. And you are you are not in control based on, you know, how altered you are. And so a lot of times when people use, they do terrible things to themselves and to each other as a result of the consequences of those drugs. So I've been very disappointed that there haven't been more articles around you know, what happens in a relationship when people are drug abusing, um, because that is a big part of it. But then all the cursing, the disrespect, the contempt, you know, the lack of control. I I wrote in the piece that this was really the fall of man on human display. And instead of, you know, taking sides and trying to determine who is at fault, and social media has been doing that to a ridiculous um, extreme. 
we should be deeply grieved by the depravity of man that we're seeing playing out in this sort of movie in front of us. And the problem is this plot that we're seeing doesn't include a redemptive factor. There's no need, there's no discussion of the need for a savior to really transform those darkened hearts that we're seeing. And instead we have these people being very, you know, centered in themselves, rejecting God, living a life that seems right to them. And we see what happens when all of this sort of merges together. If you ever doubted that the heart was, you know, deceitful and desperately wicked, as Jeremiah pointed out, I think this is a good example of what happens when there is no God in the picture, when there is no redemption, when there is no need seen for a savior. And that grieves me. That makes me sad for these two people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I said in the piece that Thomas Aquinas says sin wounded, um, you know, wounded human nature. And that's what we're seeing. These wounded people are hurting each other. And when we don't see a regenerative spirit going on here, very little changes. And so this is to me just a sad grieving display of what happens to people who do not have Jesus in their life. And I, I, I'm old enough to remember a song by uh, Steve Green. Uh, I, I put it in the link of the article, People Need the Lord. And after I was listening to this for, I don't know, it was maybe an hour one day, I thought, I, need, I remembered that song by Steve Green. And I thought, I need to find that on YouTube and I just need to listen to it. And I need to pray when I'm listening to it. Pray for these two people. They need the Lord. And his song is so beautiful. It's so moving. It's just a reminder that when we see things like this, we need to pray. Um, we don't need to join in all the craziness and you know decide who's right and who's wrong. We'll let the jury do that. But when we see all of this hurt and this wounding, we need to remember how broken we really are and how badly we do need a Savior. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes, empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? Linda, as always, thank you for bringing us such clarity um, and heartfelt concern. You guys can read uh, the piece related to the Depp Heard trial, emphasizing the need for God. You can find it at drlindamental.com or the link there to its posting on BeliefNet. Linda, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great week. You too. Laughter hides their silent cry. So it is Monday, which means that yesterday was Sunday, and I hope you had opportunity and occasion and made it a priority to gather together somewhere with the people of God and give God the glory due His name. I want to just celebrate baptisms that I witnessed yesterday in the context of the congregation where I worship. I want to just 
openly and publicly celebrate that God continues to draw men and women unto himself, that he continues to um, reach out by grace and lay claim, redemptive claim. Yesterday was also the um, first day of a new church plant in the community where I live, um, a church plant that is uh, out of the congregation where I worship. And I just, you know, want to, the the church planting pastor there is Taylor Combs, and he's actually been a guest on our program um, in his uh, in his other capacity um, uh, with Lifeway. And I just want to celebrate that. Like it's no it's no minor thing that God continues to raise up pastors and plant churches. Like I, it's a big deal. And so, if there's a new church development in your community in your city, please be covering them with prayer. Be encouraging them. Uh, you know, it's not that God's calling each and every one of us out of the congregations where where we are to go and be a part of a new church development, but we ought to be supporting them. We ought to be supportive of them. We ought to be celebrating that uh, the gospel continues to be extended to more and more people. We ought to be celebrating every baptism. We ought to be glorifying God that people are acknowledging their sin and confessing Christ as the way to salvation and saying, you know what, I... I turn, I turn from um, all of these self-governed ideas that I have in my head and heart. Like I recognize my sin and my brokenness and my need. And I thank God for his grace freely offered to me in the person of Jesus Christ. And I repent. And yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Wash me, wash me. Um, And then to publicly profess that and, uh, and, and stand before a gathered community of God's people and be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and then be counted among God's people as a brother and sister in Christ. Like, let's celebrate that today. Today is a good day. Today is the day of salvation for someone. Maybe, maybe today's the day of your salvation. Maybe you've never done what I just described. Maybe you've never acknowledged publicly your sin and said to God, oh, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. And bowed the knee and said to God, by your grace offered in Jesus Christ, like, remove my sin as far as the east is from the west. Remember my sin no more. Claim me as your own. Transfer me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your light. Oh, God, I need you. And in Jesus Christ, I receive your grace. If you've never done that, let today be the day of salvation. Like today's a good day because God has declared it good, but could, today could be a really good day. If May the 23rd, 2022 becomes your day of salvation. Next up, we're going to have a conversation with Oz Guinness. Um, he has a new book, The Great Quest. If you're trying to make sense of life and you're trying to make meaning of life, well, you've got to examine your life. If we're trying to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day, then we have to be cultivating the mind of Christ and the matters of the day. So this is a conversation about a thoroughly examined life, what it is, how do you do it, and to what end. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Again today, Oz Guinness, we're going to talk about his brand new book, The Great 
quest. It's an invitation to an examined life and a sure path to meaning. Oz, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. What a privilege to be with you again. It is such a delight. All right. So um, let's set this up this way. People are asking big questions, and there's really only a few really big questions that people ask. Maybe um, more people are asking those questions today because they've you know, they've experienced some sort of shattering sense of predictability or control based on the pandemic or the unprovoked war in Eastern Europe or, I mean, many Americans just triggered by the anticipated ruling, you know, by the U.S. Supreme Court on the topic of abortion. Like big questions come. People arrive at these big questions at different points along life's journey. Um, Tell us what you're doing in the great quest in terms of helping us find a way into and through that conversation? Well, it's a book written for seekers to show how thinking people can think through the journey of their faith towards meaning and setting it out as something that they have to do for themselves, but deeply rational and thoroughly responsible. But as you say, we're in an extraordinary time when big questions are raised all around us. Now, in other books, I've addressed that, but here we are in a huge crisis in the U.S., a huge crisis in the West, and people need to know where do they put their trust. And there's no better place to put their trust than in the Lord. Right. And so you and I, it would thrill our hearts if, um, you know, if everyone would think about what they're thinking about and then think about why and how they're thinking about what they're thinking about. But Oz, I'm just aware that there's a lot of unthinking people, um, including Christians. (laughs) To put it mildly. (laughs) No, you're right. And you see, sadly, the rising tide of the so-called nuns. In other words, people just drifting away who are nominal Christians. And this is all rather tragic, because if people need meaning and trust in what's life about, how to make the most of it, it's today. And you can see, say, particularly with the younger generation, the effects of loneliness and COVID and the rise of suicides, the crisis of meaning is very, very profound. And of course, at the political level, we're seeing a grand clash between not just secularism and the Christian faith, but radical forms of left-wing secularism. So the issue of faith today is absolutely central, but a lot of people aren't thinking about it. Yeah, one of the things I appreciate that you sift and sort through, um, you know, even when you just refer to secularism or a secular mindset, you help us distinguish that from um, people who may have uh, a derivative of an Eastern worldview, even if they don't know because they haven't thought about it. They don't know that's the worldview that they have, but they think of, of everything as impersonal versus having a secular worldview or approach that just thinks that everything's by chance. Um, and then that's this. There's this distinction among those of us who practice an Abrahamic faith uh, that you know it is personal. In fact, it's all personal, and I take it personally. So yeah. um, those are some of the things that, as you engage in the great quest, you're going to discover. Oz Guinness is the author, and yes, for those of you wondering, we do have a handful of books to give away today. You can text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Um, Oz, talk with me about the role of truth in all of this. I feel like we are at a point in time when deception is really, really high and heightened, and people are having a very difficult time sorting through what is and isn't true. Um, the truth matters. Seeking the truth matters. Speaking the truth matters. Talk, talk with us about the role of truth in our quest. 
Well, America and much of the West is experiencing a deep crisis of truth coming from thinkers like Nietzsche and from the philosophy of postmodernism. In other words, Nietzsche says God is dead and truth is dead. Now, if that's so, all that's left is power. And that's the problem you see on the radical left, setting up conflicts of power. And you can see it point after point. The crisis of truth is a crisis of freedom. You remember our Lord. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's enormous confusion over truth today. But let's remember, humans can't live long without truth. You take grand enterprises like science. Without truth, they collapse. Or journalism without truth, only fake news. Business without truth is in trouble. But above all, families and relationships. Because underlying everything is how do you trust people, take them at their word? It all depends on truth. So we can be sure truth will never go out of fashion for long. But the deepest, most solid view of truth is the biblical view. And so once again, you've got good news in the gospel, which you don't have in our wider culture. So there's like a pre-apologetics thing going on here. Um, getting, getting to the place where I, as a Christian, recognize that I make a lot of assumptions because of um, my, what's on my mind and the way my mind is set, and that other people who are genuinely seeking, they are genuinely now asking questions, but I might not be in a very good position to walk with them right now because I'm at such a different place um, in this great quest than they are. So talk with us about um, the stages of the great quest, and then when we come back from a very brief break, um, we'll walk through them. What are the four stages, Oz? Well, my hope, Carmen, is this is not just for seekers to see how they can think it through, but this is also for believers to remember how they have thought it through and to be aware of when they're talking to others, where are they in the journey so they can speak relevantly. But I outline what are the four main phases. Number one, a time for questions, which is what constitutes a real seeker. Number two, a time for answers. You look at the comparatively very different answers to see which one is the most adequate and the most illuminating. Stage three, a time for evidences. Not just does an answer throw light on the situation, but is it true what you were raising earlier? And then stage four, time for commitments. The whole person, not just the mind, the whole person must be committed. And I've described each of those, of course, in much greater detail. We're talking with Oz Guinness. We're talking about his latest book, The Great Quest, Invitation to an Examined Life and a Sure Path to Meaning. If you'd like to enter the drawing for the handful of copies we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation now with Oz Guinness about his book, The Great Quest. It's an invitation to an examined life and a sure path to meaning. Um, Oz, I'd love to dig around, um, well, I'd love to dig around in all of the phases, uh, a time for questions, a time for answers, a time for evidence, and a time for commitments. But I think um, let's dwell for a moment on a time for commitments. 
this idea that I am going to stake my very existence um, and everything about me and my life and my future hope um, fundamentally on what I believe. Talk with us about the commitment level of all of this. Now, of course, that fourth stage depends on the other three being successful. In other words, someone has questions. They're really convinced the one answer, the gospel, is the best answer they've come across. And then they've checked out and they're convinced, too, that it's true. But that isn't enough. In other words, it's not just the mind. We're whole people. We have minds and we have emotions and we have wills. And that fourth stage is the whole person. It's not a leap of faith. No, there are solid reasons to believe. And it's certainly not a leap in the dark. But it is a whole person. So it's more than rational, but only because we are. We're emotional and so on, too. And I, I use the picture. I love it. I heard from a Kenyan. You know, a Westerner was describing faith to a Kikuyu warrior. And he used a word. The Kenyan said, that's the wrong word. That's like the word assent, purely intellectual and arm's length. Our word is the same word we used of a lion's leap a great leap on its quarry, and all four legs enfolding whatever it is. That's the word for faith, and I love that. So the fourth stage is a whole person. Now, of course, Carmen, as you know, that's often the stage when we make that commitment, all of us. But we then discover we've been looking for the Lord. He's been looking for us. So it's not just us looking for him. We've been found by him, and the supernatural comes in like a flood. Mm. Okay, so the supernatural. This, um, I think, this gets to your conversation. You know, there's there's reason, there's conscience, but then there's this living sense of wonder. Can you wander around with us um, on why we need a living sense of wonder? Well, you know, anyone who lives with a bit of nature, uh, rather than everything being technological and delivered to us in our cities and so on, you realize that nature has an incredible sense of wonder. From the sun rises and the sun sets to a small, humble dandelion. So you have someone like G.K. Chesterton, who was flirting with pessimism and nihilism when he was a student. But he says, I was stopped in my tracks by a dandelion. How could there be so much ruin, brokenness in the world? Take the horrors of Ukraine at the moment. And then you take the beauty of a little flower or a Mozart sonata or the birth of a baby. There's wonder in this world. How do you put together the brokenness and the wonder? So wonder is actually the beginning of someone really searching, and philosophers say it's the beginning of philosophy. We need to have sense that something much bigger than us is behind it all. So yesterday I um, I had the privilege of spending a little time with one of my granddaughters, and she is um, she is amazed at all of these very tiny little wild strawberries that are hidden mm-hmm. in my yard, um, you know, beneath where the uh, the blades of the mower will get them. And she wanted to collect a whole bag of them to deliver to the chipmunks that live near her house. And um, and as we were, you know, romping around doing that, you know, she's so much closer to the ground than I am. Her what she saw was a little bit different than my perspective. And then at one point she saw. Um, a, a deer stand in the woods, and she said, "Let's go up there because we can see more things from up there than we can see from down here." Right? I think that um, aligning with children maybe it would be would help us um, to recultivate or rediscover a sense of wonder in the world today. No, absolutely. But you you've also highlighted children. 
they have questions. Why this? Why that? Why the other? And the sad fact is, as we grow older as adults, that questioning stops. And so the seeking begins with a time for questions. And the tragedy is more modern people don't raise questions. You know, this Mm. is what Socrates called the unexamined life. And he said it's not worth living. But if he's true, most people in the modern world are living lives not worth living. So it's questioning and wonders that makes people really think. And then, of course, when a crisis strikes in and life is thrown into a question mark, then people really search. But I wish more people were even at stage one, which is that time for questions. And I have quite a discussion on why people aren't thinking today. Yeah, I'm um, I'm pretty excited about um, something that I know that you're working on, signals of transcendence, where you're going mm-hmm. to share with us some of the experience of people that like what triggered the the, the asking of the questions, like what triggers uh, the beginning of this process. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm wondering, Oz, if when you think about um, Christians in the conversations of the day, are we often answering questions that people aren't asking and certainly failing to allow them to discover the answers to the questions they are asking? No, that's a very good point. I think we've got to learn, though, that, you know, as I was saying earlier, life is a journey. So the question is, where is the person we're talking to at this moment? So people aren't all the same. Someone may say, I'm an atheist, but all atheists are different because of their life background and so on. So we have to love by listening and then through listening and asking questions, discover where they are in their journey and then address the gospel to them exactly where they are. And a lot of people don't do that. They've just got a formula and they trot it out and give the same answers to everybody. And that's a disaster. It's like water off a duck's back. Hmm. I'm thinking here, you know, uh, images of pilgrimage. You're you're discussing it as the great quest. Um, Ultimately, I think what you're inviting people into is an encounter with the Lord um, for themselves. So Absolutely. um, yeah, that's what it feels like to me. Talk about um, that in your own life. What are maybe some of the influences on your road to faith? Well, I grew up in a missionary background, although my parents and I were under house arrest in China, and then the communists allowed them to send me home. So I went home at just under 10, and all my teenage years, I was basically without my parents, Uh, in England at schools and so on. So my own journey to faith was a real search. I I knew enough about Buddhism and Hinduism, Eastern religions, having grown up there, not to be attracted deeply by them. And for me, it was a debate between, on the one hand, the great atheists like Nietzsche and Sartre and Camus, and on the other hand, great Christian thinkers like Pascal and Chesterton and, of course, C.S. Lewis. So I became convinced it was true But my conversion was when I met the Lord, and then my growth in the Lord is when I realized that thinking Christianly, you could think about anything and everything under the Lordship of Jesus in a wonderfully free way and have a deep answer to the whole of life. And so it's something that's excited me profoundly ever since, and that's now more than 50 years ago. But here we are. Too many Christians are on the back foot. You know, they're defensive, the culture against us and all this. No, the gospel is good news. It's the best news ever. 
And at a moment when the alternatives are genuinely seen to be bankrupt, we should be on the front foot addressing the big issues because we have in the scriptures and in the gospel of Jesus itself, we have the answers. So I'm trying to set it out in a way that people can just think through for themselves quietly. It's not an argument, read this book and then you're convinced. No, it's a description of the journey that people have to take for themselves. If Socrates was right that the unexamined life is not worth living, then we certainly uh, want to be people who are examining life. That's what Osgenes is inviting us to do. The book is The Great Quest, an invitation to an examined life and a sure path to meaning. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give to uh, give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Oz, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Great privilege, Carmen. Thank you. It's just a delight. We'll be right back. When you think about uh, what you're thinking about, how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? I mean, we have solid reasons to believe. That's, that's one of my takeaways from the conversation with Oz Guinness. We have solid reasons to believe. My faith is not unreasonable. In fact, my faith is rational. It's not, it's not a leap at all. It's a bended knee um, on a cross, and it's the acknowledgement of who that is on that cross, Jesus the Christ, Christ not being his last name, but being the declaration of who he is, Christ, the son of the living God, the second co-eternal member of the Trinity, um, came from heaven to earth and from earth to the cross and the cross to the grave and the grave to the sky for one purpose, the redemption of humanity. And I can rely upon him for my salvation. If you look around the world and you look at your own life and you uh, and you say, you know, what a mess. And then you look at what God said at the beginning of creation and declared it good. And you say, how do I get back to that? Well, you get back by going forward, forward in faith, faith in Christ, totally embracing the reality of who Christ is, becoming his and becoming his like in Christ and then Christ living in you, animating the rest of your life. It's a it's a great exchange. I hope you're making it. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.